were spending some time at the well of Zichar, listening into the conversation that Jesus Christ is having with this woman of Samaria. And he's coming now to the finale of his talk with her. And at some points, she believes in him. So verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. That's where we left off last time. Jesus is not being deflected by having a discussion on worship. He brings us back to the essentials of worship. And the woman says, I know that the Messiah, he's going to tell us all things. And then verse 26, Jesus reveals himself as the Christ. And then I think she believes. We're not told that, but what we are told, and this is quite ironic, isn't it? In the middle of this profound conversation about spiritual things, the disciples return, having gone to the town to buy food and drink, (laughs) and they come with physical provisions. And they were too afraid to ask Jesus, why are you talking to a woman? And a woman of Samaria at that. You can feel the tension, can't you? And then Jesus says, you don't get it, do you? I've got food to eat. I've got food to eat that nourishes me. And they're still thinking in terms of physical food. Isn't it a bit like that with us? We're so prone to think physical. What can I get out of Christ? Uh, I just want to be happier. I want to be healthier. I want to be wealthier. Well, of course, we all do. But our greatest need is to be saved. The soul, the eternal parts, not just the needs of the body, but the need of a never-dying soul. So, Let's look at this woman's conversion. We sang Amazing Grace, didn't we? Do you know what? Every conversion is amazing. That's my first point. I haven't got an introduction this morning. Every conversion is amazing grace. Now, this woman's conversion is a remarkable one. We're told that even the disciples, verse 27, marveled. They were amazed. In the previous chapter, Nicodemus was spoken to by Jesus Christ. And he didn't have a spectacular conversion like this woman. This woman's conversion was sudden. She had come to the well. Uh, She had come as a worldly person, if I can put it like that. No interest in Jesus Christ, she had come just to get some water, something that she was doing every day, and by the end of the conversation, she is leaving the well, forgetting about her physical needs, and she has found living water, and she is completely transformed. Now, that is wonderful, isn't it? And there are people who are saved like that today. They will come to a church service completely dead as a dodo spiritually, and they'll hear the gospel And like this woman, they'll leave the church full of spiritual life. God still works like that. But that's not the only way God works. I need to say that. 
Some people think they must have a Damascus Road experience to have a genuine conversion. No. Nicodemus, we don't know if he was converted, do we, after the conversation. But after two or three years, we do know he came through because he helped Joseph of Arimathea to bury the body of Jesus Christ. So that was a gradual work, but it's still amazing, isn't it? And every conversion is unique, but every conversion, whether it's sudden or gradual, is amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But the sad thing here is that these disciples were amazed, not at the conversion. I think they were not amazed by grace, they were appalled by grace. Why are you talking to her? Like many people guilty of respectable sins, they don't say that to Jesus' face, but they're thinking that. I was reading about uh, the way women were treated in Jesus' day, even by the religious society, and there were rabbinical sayings. So here are a few. Listen to this. Rather burn the sayings of the law than teach them to women. I'm sure Fiona and the ladies in our church are glad that that's not the case here. Or what about this? Let no man prolong conversation with a woman. Let no one converse with a woman in the streets, not even with his own wife. And what is the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect man, the Messiah, doing here? Remember, these disciples had already believed in him and were following him. What's he doing? He is completely going against those religious traditions. And I think they were horrified, even offended but they dare not say it. So what about us this morning? Are we offended by the grace of God in the gospel, or are we amazed? Let me push this further. Uh, There is talk, isn't there, in politics about leveling, leveling up. Well, the gospel is the great leveler. Before it levels us up, it levels us down. The gospel puts us all in the same position, whether we're male or female, whether we are uh, Jew, religious, or Greek, non-religious, whether we are educated or non-educated, whether we are Welsh or another nationality, it doesn't matter. Grace levels us. And unless we've been leveled to the point where I'm saying I'm a sinner and I need a saviour. I don't think we've heard this voice of Jesus Christ, the great leveller. There are no key members in a church. We're all sinners saved by grace. But then grace levels up. This is what is wonderful about grace. Where does it level us up to? Well, we are forgiven in Jesus Christ. As I said to the children, not on the basis of what we have done 
Our good works are never going to be good enough to make us right with God. It is all because of Jesus' perfect life and death in our place. Forgiven! Isn't that a sole sufficient reason to worship God this morning? I'm no longer under condemnation. I'm no longer going on the road to hell. I'm going to heaven. Praise God. But not only have we been leveled up to the place of being forgiven past, present, future sins, blotted out, we have been born of the Spirit. We'll look at that in a moment. We have been adopted to sonship. We're not just sons and daughters of God. We're sons of God, even those of you who are female. Why am I emphasizing that? I'm emphasizing it because in the Bible, the son had the promises, the inheritance. So as one hymnist put it, he takes slaves and makes them partners of his throne. Praise God. Amazing grace. And incidentally, I need to say this in the confusion that exists today. It was the influence of Christianity that liberated women. It was the influence of Christianity that brought equality to our Western democracies. It was the influence of Christianity that caused science to thrive. We can give the impression sometimes that as Christians, uh, we are behind. No, we're not. We're ahead. So amazing grace. Aren't you glad that Jesus was given the nickname? Sometimes a person's nickname says more about them than anything else. Well, the Pharisees gave him the nickname, the friend of tax collectors and sinners. It was meant as a word of contempt, but isn't it a wonderful title to Jesus Christ? Is there anybody here this morning who feels unworthy, who feels unclean, who feels that they cannot become a Christian? I just want to reassure you, you're the right person for Jesus Christ. Not the righteous, but sinners Jesus came to call. And the reverse is also true. Is there anybody here this morning who thinks that they're still good enough? You've come to the wrong place, my friend. Oh, we who are Christians here, don't we need to learn this lesson as well? When Saul of Tarsus, another amazing conversion, the Damascus Road experience, when he was saved, poor Ananias, who was a true disciple, he didn't believe God when he said, go to Paul and lay hands on him. May everyone be able to say, this is my first point, oh, how the grace of God amazes me. Not how the grace of God amazes me. Oh. It's a bit like the repeats in the hymns. You can't, you can't set the repeats in stone. It's when a person's heart is moved. And I believe John Newton was moved. And the person who wrote the hymn, oh, how the grace of God amazes me, was moved by the Spirit. That hymn was written in a revival in the Congo. Uh, let us listen to J.C. Ryle. How much astonishment every fresh conversion occasions. One of the things that made my sabbatical was hearing about somebody coming through 
here during the summer. Amazing grace. How much astonishment every fresh conversion occasions. What surprise is expressed at the change in the heart, life, tastes, and habits of the converted person. What wonder is felt at the power, the mercy, the patience, the compassion of Christ. It is now as it was 2,000 years ago. The dealings of Christ are still a marvel to the church and to the world. And we should consider no one impossible. No one impossible. When I first came to the church, uh, I uh, met a member who kept on talking about William Haslam. So I didn't know anything about William Haslam before I came here. I know a lot about William Haslam now. He was a 19th century clergyman in Cornwall, in Truro. And I know a great deal about him by now because I've read his autobiography. And there was a preacher in that part of Cornwall, the same time as William Haslam, called Billy Bray. Most of you will have heard of him. A converted miner, a character if ever there was one. And Billy Bray had been burdened for the place that Haslam ministered for years. He'd been praying for that hill of Baldu. And then when he heard that a clergyman had been called to the church there, he was delighted until he heard him preach. And he realized that William Haslam was just a liberal, no gospel at all. And so what did Billy Bray do? He prayed, he prayed, and then he heard that William Haslam had been converted. William Haslam was the man that was converted in the middle of his sermon. <laughs> in the middle of his sermon, somebody in the congregation noticed that the parson had been converted. Isn't that a spectacular conversion as well? And they said, the parson has been converted, hallelujah! And all the congregation rejoiced. You don't mind a sermon being interrupted then, do you? And I'm going to read an account. It's a bit lengthy, but you'll see why I'm reading it. One morning, while we were sitting at breakfast, says Haslam, I heard someone walking about in the hall saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Well, you know who that was. It was Billy Bray. Uh, so he introduced himself. I am Billy Bray. And be you the parson? Yes, I am, said Haslam. Thank the Lord. Converted, Harry? Yes, thank God. And the missus inside, this is 19th century, <laughs> be she converted? Yes, she is. Thank the dear Lord. And he came in, and stepping into the room, he bowed and said, be there any servants? Yes, there are three in the kitchen. Be they converted too? And I was able to answer, yes. And then what did he do? He started shouting. Now, don't follow his example unless the spirit leads you he started shouting and praising God all of them and Billy Bray was singing Canaan is a happy place I am bound for the land of Canaan and then we returned into the dining room uh, and he suddenly caught me up in his arms and carried me around the room I was so taken by surprise that it was as much as I could do to keep myself in an upright position till he had accomplished the circuits He's doing a spiritual Congo. <laughs> then he set me in my chair and rolling on the ground. This isn't a man showing off. He's just full of joy at what has happened. 
he said he was as happy as he could live. And when this ended, he rose up with a face that denoted the fact that he was beaming all over, and I invited him to take some breakfast with us. What a breakfast. What a breakfast. Now, my point is this. Billy Bray was amazed that God had heard his prayer for William Haslam, and this is how God's grace works. God's grace isn't minus when you think of maths. It's not even plus. It's certainly not divide. It's multiply. Grace upon grace. Not only did God save William Haslam, he saved his wife, he saved the servants. Amazing grace. Some of you here who were saved when God visited this church a few decades ago, it wasn't just you, it was the whole family sometimes, wasn't it? May God do it again, because I believe he can. So that's my first point. Let's hurry to the next one. Amazing grace, every conversion. But what happens? Well, conversion goes deeper than that, doesn't it? My second point is she leaves her water pots. Now, we mustn't think of the water pots as some small carton. It was a hulking, great, big pot. And you've seen women in uh, the East carrying these pots uh, upon their heads or carrying them uh, upon the hip. And so she completely forgot about this big thing, the very reason she'd first come to the well. She was completely overwhelmed by the fact that she was saved. She forgot the water pots, left it behind, and she goes into the city. We'll look at that later. What happened to her? It's profound, isn't it? Every conversion, whether it's sudden or gradual, is profound. It goes right to the depth. How deep does it go? Is it just superficial? No. Whoever is in Christ, whoever you are this morning, if you're in Christ, if you have believed in him as your Lord and Savior, you're a new creation, a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, the sense of wonder, all things have become new, new. How do you know if there's new life? How do you know if there are babies in a building? You can hear them, can't you? I, I don't get put off by the cries of babies. Well, I have to be careful that I don't say that and then end up next Sunday with a chorus of crying. But, but I'd rather that than a dead silence because it's a sign of life. It shows we're a living church. How do I know if I'm converted? How do I know if I've been born again? Well, if you've Breathed in for the first time the oxygen of God's grace. There's nothing like it, isn't there? The freshness of spiritual life. That's when a baby cries. Once it's had its first gulp of oxygen, it cries out. And what's our first cry? Our first cry, I know I'm paraphrasing it, but in essence it is this. Jesus Christ is Lord and Saviour. What did Paul say writing to the Romans? This isn't an activity that we do. Uh, some people think, if I just say this, I am saved. No, it's proof that you are crying. For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord 
and believe in your hearts that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So this woman now confesses that Jesus is the Christ. She can't help it because she's breathed in grace. And of course, as Cooper puts it, prayer is the Christian's vital breath as well. Poor Ananias, who was worried about going to lay hands on Saul, now Paul, is assured by God with the words, Behold, he prayeth. So how do I know if I'm born again? You don't have to analyze what kind of conversion you've had, whether it's been sudden or whether it's been gradual. I've got a good, godly friend, and he hasn't got a story to tell in terms of a testimony. And I don't mean that in a negative way. He was brought up in a gospel church. He can never remember a time when he didn't believe the word of God, but he is able to say, all I'm... (laughs) Saying is, I was once blind, but now I see. Are you seeing spiritually? Have you got this cry in your heart? Jesus is my saviour, and I am depending on him for everything. But it's even more profound than that, isn't it? It's not just crying. She leaves the water pots. Now, I read in this chapter to the verses that talked about Jesus returning to Cana in Galilee, because that's where he first performed the miracle of uh, turning the water into wine, the first miracle in John. Do you remember looking at that? And the water pots there, do you remember that? The water pot here, the same word is used in the original, to the water pot in Cana of Galilee. Do you know what those water pots were for? religious ceremonial cleansing right so two things it was stagnant water not fresh flowing living water like jesus is it's stagnant dead water which will go down and it's ceremonial washing water now what is this woman doing can you see the metaphor here she's leaving behind the Broken cisterns, to quote the hymn. She's leaving behind the stagnant water of the world. The world, even when you get all that the world can offer you, the conclusion is vanity of vanity. All is vanity. So she turns her back on what this world can give. But more than that, she turns her back on religion Many of us were brought up in religion. It was nominal Christianity, but it was still religion, and it was still stagnant. There was no spiritual life there. The author to the Hebrews talks about repenting from dead works. I think those are religious works. Is there anybody here this morning who considers themselves a Christian but you haven't got the life of Jesus Christ in you. You're just religious. My friends, you need to repent and turn from your dead works to the living Savior as well. Indeed, when God revives his people, a number of people who profess to be Christians realize that they were just religious. There was a sad piece of news on the BBC over the summer about... Bethany in Ammonford. Have you, have you heard of Bethany Chapel? 
him at Ammonford. Gareth Davis was the pastor there many years ago. Before him was J.D. Williams, Gwyn Williams' his father. And before him was Nantleis. Have you heard of Nantleis? He was a hymn writer, wrote lovely children's hymns in Welsh. When Nantleis was called to Ammonford, prior to 1904 it was, he probably wasn't converted. And he was wonderfully saved in the revival of 1904. Interestingly, Nantleis's successor, Gwyn Williams' father, J.D. Williams, when he was called, he wasn't converted either. And he was saved. There must be something about that church, but it's closing now. Uh, here's somebody called Phillips. Sitting stagnant water that this woman had come to draw from Jacob's well describes powerless outward religion which Jesus replaces with living water of true spiritual power and life. My friends, I don't want to have a form of godliness without the power. Have we got the life of Jesus Christ? You may have the life and you may lack in outward things. You may lack sometimes the teaching. You, you may lack uh, the uh, particular distinctives that we are very privileged to have in our heritage. But if there's life there, there's hope, isn't there? What a profound, wonderful change every conversion is. Let me give you this illustration uh, Thomas Chalmers, the great Scottish theologian, described conversion as uh, the expulsive power of a new affection. That's big, isn't it? But what he basically means is you've got desires that you didn't have before. You love things now that you either weren't interested in before or you hated. Your whole world has been transformed. It's as if the world has changed. But the world hasn't changed. It's you that's changed. I can't keep up with all the eateries down Witchet Road and then one of my favourite roads in Cardiff for food is City Road. You've got all the world there, City Road. And you'll sometimes see, and this thrills my heart, a new South Indian restaurant opened on City Road. Or you might see a restaurant that started off well, but then the, the food wasn't as good, and you stop going there. Have you had that experience? And then your heart warms when you see a sign outside saying, under new ownership, under new ownership, and you know what you're going to do now. You're going to try it out yourself, aren't you? Let's taste what this new owner can come up with. My friend, that's what happens when you're converted. Under new ownership. The heart of stone has been replaced with a heart of flesh. It doesn't mean that we're perfect now. We're perfect legally in Jesus' righteousness. But inherently, we are still struggling with sin and with living in this world and with the flesh. But there's a new owner. There's a new owner. And that new owner is gradually changing every part of us, every member of us. 
Uh, imagine the restaurant. Imagine if one of the cooks wasn't very good. Well, maybe the new owner eventually gets rid of that cook. My friend, can I ask you, are you a new creation? Can you sing? It's a chorus, but it's good. I am a new creation. No more in condemnation. Here, by the grace of God, I stand. And I will praise you, Lord. I will praise you, Lord. And I still have to pinch myself, as Andy put it in the Bible study, that I'm saved. Then one last point. Well, can I mention John Newton? Can I mention him before moving to the last point? The author of Amazing Grace. He was brought up in a Christian home. He was orphaned when he was six years old, and he was sent to live with a relative who abused him. And so Newton ran away, and he ran and became a sailor, and he turned his back on the Christian faith of his parents, and he wanted to sin, in his words, to the full. He just wanted to sin as far as he could go. And he lived a dissolute life as a sailor. He was a drunkard. He once fell overboard and had to be rescued because he drank too much rum. And he was a slave trader. You can't go any lower. And in the middle of a storm in the Atlantic Ocean, God dealt with him. Amazing grace. If he can save a wretch like Newton, he can save any one of us. My last point. This woman now had a mission, didn't she? Spurgeon's got a sermon on this. The woman of Samaria and her mission. We've got a mission in a year's time. I'm glad of that. We've got Roger Carswell coming again. And it's a delight to have him. But we don't have to wait till this time next year. You don't have to be a minister to have a mission. You don't have to be on the evangelism group, even though they do excellent work, to have a mission. If you're a new creation, you can have a mission straight away, like this woman. Who is the evangelist in John 4? We usually say Jesus Christ is the evangelist. But I wonder whether the real evangelist is this woman. Because having encountered Jesus, our theme, she believes in him. And now she turns her back on all of her former life. And she goes and spreads the gospel to the inhabitants of Samaria. They're the last people you would have expected her to do that to. Because she was resented by them. They hated her. That's why she came to draw water in the middle of the day and not when it was cooler. But now her heart had been transformed by the grace of God. He loved me and gave himself for me. So I'm going with open arms even to those who I consider my enemies. And I want to share this Jesus with them. <sighs> Ralph Erskine calls her the first female preacher. Maybe we wouldn't have women preach in the pulpit here, but I wouldn't have minded hearing this woman of Samaria preach. She didn't go to theological college. I don't know if she had that great a theological education she certainly hadn't looked at her bible doctrines but she had a message she was a witness and that's all that matters in the end isn't it we must go deeper into what we believe but in the end it's having a story to tell fanny crosby this is my story 
This is my song. I can imagine this woman, like Billy Bray, dancing and singing as she goes into the city of Samaria. Oh, that we were like that again. That we couldn't wait to uh, Sunday morning. That we would instinctively invite our friends and neighbours here. That it would be the centre point of our week to gather with the people of God to hear the joyful sound that Jesus saves. So she couldn't explain the gospel in depth, but she testified, come and see, come and see. That's what you've got to say. Are you a Christian this morning? Maybe you feel guilty about evangelism. We all do. But in essence, it's come and see. Uh, I just want to mention a few things as I draw to a conclusion. Come. Come. She doesn't try to reform these people of Samaria. They were dodgy, weren't they? They, they didn't have the right Bible. They worshipped in the wrong way. She did not try to deal with that first. She says, come to a man. And if you come to him and believe him, he'll set those things right eventually. We're not here to point the finger at a degenerate society. What use is that going to do? We're here to invite people to a man who can change them. Come. Uh, didn't Alan McNabb do a children's talk on the word come? And somebody was really blessed in that children's talk. He took it backwards. He said, E, come, E, elderly. Uh, come, what's M? Middle age, thank you. And then O, older children. And then C, children. Everybody. Th this is why the Bible is so full of promises saying, come, come. I read uh, Isaiah 55.1. There's another one at the start of Isaiah. Come, let us reason together. It's not me being a Bible basher. This woman wasn't a Bible basher. There's a wooing here. Come, let us reason together. The sublime words of Jesus Christ. Come unto me, all that are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How does the Bible end? How does the Bible end? Well, it ends with the same invitation, doesn't it? Uh, come, let him who thirsts, come. The Spirit and the Bride, that's the church, says, come. Let him who hears, says, come. Let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. It's as if God is going out of his way to make the offer of the gospel as free and as wide as possible. Come, come. She doesn't say go to Jesus. She could have said that, and that would have been theologically accurate. But there's something clinical about go, come. I think of her with open arms, with a warm heart, because she had tasted of the living water. And now she's so full of Jesus Christ that she has open arms. She can't help it. She's giving her own experience, but she's leading them to Christ. She says, yes, you've got to come. You've got to come yourself, but come. 
I like the way Spurgeon puts it. She doesn't say, you come, let us come. Let us come. Spurgeon says, do you want to come to Jesus Christ for the first time? Let me come with you. Let's come together. I, I could do with that as a pastor. There's nothing that thrills us ministers more than people being converted. So let me come with you. I'm a sinner just like you are. So let's come. You for the first time, me, I'll come again. And I'll come as often as I want. Because once you've drunk of Jesus Christ, you can't come often enough. We taste thee and long to feed upon thee still. Well, my time is going. Uh, what, what have I got here? Come, see a man who has told me everything. Well, that's not literally true, but he's revealed the most important thing about us. He's God. He's the God-man. No one else is on the same level as Jesus Christ. He and he alone we worship. We don't put a preacher, we don't put an author, we don't put anybody on the pedestal. Jesus Christ, the God-man. And he came to live for you, to keep God's commandments, and he came supremely to die. Come, let us look to that cross especially, where he, the only begotten Son of God, took away our sins. And it was for me looking to the cross that caused me to know I was born again. I know of no better place to come to than Mount Calvary. Let me just close with this. There, there was a preacher in Wales called John Hutton, and he was preaching somewhere, and the service was interrupted. The sermon was interrupted. We had an interruption last Sunday evening, but this wasn't like that. A minor who'd only been converted for a few months got up in the middle of the sermon and started singing a doxology. Amazing, amazing. And he gave his testimony in the middle of the sermon. And he said, since I've been saved, I've had the hard men down the mine. They, they've been taunting me. And some of them have said to me, you don't really believe in Jesus, do you? You don't really believe in him turning water into wine. And you know what this miner said? I can't really explain about water into wine, but I know in my house he's turned beer into furniture. He's turned beer into food for the children, clothes for the children. Can you see the point? I've been changed. I may not be able to explain the miracle, but a wonderful, profound, gracious change has happened to me. And I think the woman was a bit like that. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you. Go on, my friend, with the Lord. Don't get into a guilt complex. And if you're not yet... In Jesus Christ, if you're not yet a new creation, what's stopping you? None of us are good enough. He invites you. You don't have to bring anything. Free. And why don't you taste and see that the Lord is good? Try for yourself. This woman doesn't even command these people to believe. She says, who knows whether this is the Christ? Taste and see. May all of us be able to say, 
we have, we have, and we find in Jesus Christ all that we stand in need of. And to him alone be the glory. Let us sing now a hymn which has that sensibility, I think, of the amazing change that conversion brings. What a wonderful change that has happened to me since Jesus came into my heart. It's 102 in the supplements, 102.
Let us declare the grace together. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.